Good morning. Many of you have visited babies like I have. Some of you have birthed your own child. My question this morning is, who teaches that little one to be selfish? To be self-centered? To make life all about them? Who teaches them that? Well, it can't be their parents because I've I've been there. And when you have a newborn or a very young one, you are on the verge of sleep deprivation all the time. You are serving this child 24-7. If it needs anything, you are Johnny on the spot and you take care of them. If they've looked at their parents, they've saw the model of servanthood. And why don't they learn that? Why do they want full attention? And as the child grows up over time, now you would think they would grow out of this selfish stage. Amen? Come on, kid. Get with the program. But what we learn is they don't. They become even more selfish and self-centered because they're sinners. Amen? Amen. Just like their parents. Just like the rest of us. But at some point, Jesus Christ invades a person's life. They understand their need for a Savior. And something shifts in our lives. We go from death, spiritually dead, to spiritually alive. And we were selfish and self-centered, but a person has invaded our life. And all of a sudden... We begin to live for Jesus. He died to give us life. We're grateful. And we learn to live for him. And the longer we learn to live for him and we look at his example of what it means to know Christ personally, we begin to see that he came not for us to serve himself, but he came to serve others. And as we look at his model, we look at his example, we begin to adopt a similar mindset. Serving others, just like Jesus did. But can we get real here? I think all of us vacillate between selfishness and Christ and others. And depending upon the day, no, 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 depending on the hour, we switch between all three of these locations. And even this morning, as you are listening to my voice, you are somewhere on the continuum. Some of you, you came in, the first thing you wanted was coffee this morning. It wasn't to serve others. It wasn't even to serve Jesus. It was because you needed the caffeine jolt to get started. 
A good example of this would be marriage. I mean, you grow up and you think about getting married and all of a sudden you fall in love. And sometimes we fall in love because of what my mate can do for me. And sometimes we fall in love and eventually we grow and say, wow, look what Jesus has given us. But I think where the shift really takes place is when I look and see how I can serve my mate. But all good marriages vacillate again between all three positions, don't they? Because you wake up, even after 40 plus years of marriage, sometimes I wake up serving myself and not serving Jesus and not serving my bride because I'm a sinner. And that's the struggle. In the passage we're going to look at this morning, Paul wants to school us in serving others. He wants us to learn to imitate his authentic ministry. And I picked that word authentic very carefully because it has the idea reliable, trustworthy, genuine, true. And Paul says, he challenges us, imitate my ministry, because it's authentic. And in your overflow section of your notes, I have put down passages, six of them written by Paul, telling his readers, imitate me. Now this guy must have had a big ego, right? Be like me. But he says, be like me as I imitate Jesus Christ. And all of us are looking for models. Amen? All of us want examples of what it is to live for Jesus Christ. And Paul says, follow me. And today as we look at this passage, we're going to see Paul's thinking as he describes his ministry for the Lord, the one that we are to imitate. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to chapter 2, verse 3. Page 1252, there in the Pew Bible. Now what's the background? Paul wrote the church at Colossae to reinforce the deity and supremacy of Jesus Christ because there was this growing heresy going on within the church. He also wanted the believers there to become spiritually mature. And we're going to focus this morning on that second reason. We're going to look into detail of how people become spiritually mature. So let me read the passage for you. Colossians 1, 24. Paul writing... Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. 
the mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We'll end the reading there. In verse 24, to fill in the blanks there in your outline, Rejoicing in the midst of suffering. Rejoicing in the midst of suffering. This is a wild verse. Now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. I forgot to tell you about something about the context of this verse. Of this whole book. Where is Paul sitting right now as he's penning these words? Now, he understands suffering. We looked at that last Sunday. He is sitting in a Roman prison. A stinking, filthy Roman prison. It makes our prison system look like the Taj Mahal, like like Hilton Plus. Roman prisons were damp and dark and food was not always even available. And Paul says, in the midst of my suffering, I am rejoicing. I don't fully get it until I studied the passage. Now, he's learning lessons from suffering like we looked at last week. But rejoicing? Here's what I realized. Real ministry involves suffering. Amen? Okay, some of you are really involved in ministry. Some of you haven't tasted yet the suffering of ministry. But Paul is saying here, I don't just focus on the suffering. I am full of joy. I am rejoicing because he realized this is part of God's plan. God was using him to benefit other believers in Christ. I put a quote in your overflow in case you need to know what the life of a pastor is. One of my tasks as a minister is to help people live through their pain and suffering. In fact, to survive and thrive in the midst of it. Ministers who are too busy to do that are too busy for authentic ministry. People who enter into the lives of others invest time. They listen, they care, they weep, 
and grieve. A ministry is not healthy if those who minister refuse to enter into the suffering on behalf of others. That's ministry. That's authentic ministry. It involves pain, but it also involves joy as we watch God do a work in your lives and change you. He is suffering like Christ for the sake of others. So my question this morning for you, does your ministry involve entering into the pain of others? Or are you causing them more pain with a lack of comfort? Only you can answer that. Secondly, an authentic ministry is a commission or stewardship. Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. This word stewardship also has the idea within it commissioning. Paul is being commissioned by God to be a minister. But notice in the text it says, for others. He was a servant of the household of God. That's his church. And authentic ministry involves a stewardship that one day I will answer fully to the Lord and Master of the universe, Jesus Christ. How did you steward your time here? Were you truly on commission? I've been doing a lot of reflecting the last six months or so and looking over my ministry here. I finally realized what my title is. It's not senior pastor. I realize my title is chief servant chief servant and who sets my agenda is not you it's the Lord Jesus Christ and I have been sent here to serve you on behalf of God authentic ministry involves a commission or stewardship thirdly an authentic ministry is a Message of proclaiming a person. A message of proclaiming a person, starting in verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim. I remember when I was falling in love. I thought back, dear, to those days at Bradley University, and, and I had never had a girlfriend before. And so I, I really married up, folks, if you haven't figured it out by now. I had maybe experienced a little bit of puppy love in high school, but it was nothing compared to how I was smitten in college. All I could do was talk about Barbara. 
Barbara, 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 Barbara. Matter of fact, one night right before curfew, we, we had spent the evening together and I went back to the dorm room and it was just right before curfew. And I knew my roommate was sound asleep. So I carefully unlocked the door to our dorm room. I walked in and I hear from under the covers, Brian, stop smiling. You're waking me up. (laughs) I was gone. And it's lasted all these years. Why aren't we like that with Jesus? Him we proclaim. It's a person. It's not a religion. It's it's not a series of ministry responsibilities. It's a love relationship with my Savior and yours. The message of proclaiming is a person person. The question that we all have to answer is, do you know Christ personally this morning? Have you placed your faith in him as your savior from sin? And I think many of us here in this room could say, yes, I have. But have you grown in that understanding? Have you grown more in your love relationship with this person? Or is he just, well, you know, he did this years ago and it's just, it's kind of old hat now. It's kind of a yawner. I think you have lost sight of the fact that this person that loves you and loves your soul enough to die for you still loves you that much. So are you growing in knowing him personally? Howard Hendricks, years ago in a class called The Christian Home, said to me, and my wife was in that class, and I'll never forget it, become a lifelong student of your mate. Are we lifelong students of Jesus Christ? Are we in a love relationship with him? That's where it starts. That's where it grows. And Paul uses the word mystery in this passage twice. Verse 26 and verse 27. A mystery in biblical terms is not Agatha Christie. It's not a whodunit. A mystery is something once concealed, now revealed. And in this passage here, what was the mystery? It was not that Gentiles were going to get saved. That was predicted in the Old Testament, that God was going to reach out to the Gentiles. But what was the mystery? The Jews were God's chosen people. They were the people of his favor. He did everything for them. The Gentiles could become proselytes. They could join the Jewish religion and be favored by God. 
but they never saw this coming. The mystery was saved Gentiles could become fellow heirs of the promise. They could experience the same level of blessing as Jews. And to top it all off, Jesus, upon salvation, indwells Gentiles. Never seen in the Old Testament. That gives us hope, because we're all Gentiles, amen? I don't know many of you being Jewish here this morning. Children of promise. And, and we were the ones on the outside looking in, and God says, well, I have a mystery revealed now that Christ will come and indwell even us Gentiles. There's a living, glorious person inside of each of us as believers. This is Jesus we proclaim. It's not religion. And when people get around us, do they understand that we have a love relationship with the Savior of the universe? Or, oh yeah, I go to church on Sundays and I leave my faith parked during the week somewhere safe. Do you know him personally? Does it change you? Fourthly, an authentic ministry involves a compelling purpose. Verse 28, we looked at him we proclaim, but notice next, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This was Paul's chief aim in life. You see the word everyone repeated. This excludes no one. Everyone, everyone, all, everyone. See, we just don't lead people to Jesus Christ and say, this man loves your soul and died for your sins. That's true. But we just don't leave people here because Paul didn't leave people here. He moved them on to greater and greater maturity, greater and greater understanding of what it means to walk by faith. And how is this accomplished? Well, Paul said, one, we warn, we correct the wrong beliefs and wrong practices, and we teach. We guide them into correct belief and correct practices, and we use wise methods. Paul did not want believers to remain spiritual babes in Christ, and I don't want you to remain there either. Grow up. We have said that once I get to know Christ personally, we need to grow in Christ faithfully. Continue to make strides. I need to tell you that within a few months, we're going to be releasing an assessment for you to take. It's totally voluntary. But you're going to answer a series of questions which None of us will see your answers, so don't wonder if the church is going to look over your shoulders. It's not. But it will give you back immediately feedback 
on where you're strong and growing and what is your minimum factor? Where are you kind of dropping the ball spiritually? Now, that would be great, but we're going to give you more than that because that's what I'm working on right now. We're going to give you a page coming right through your computer to say, here are some things you can do to grow in this area. Here are books to read and and things to listen to and uh, things that you can accomplish on your own. And if you need someone to walk alongside of you in this process, just let us know and we'll be glad to guide you. Because we want you to grow faithfully. We don't want you to remain infants, children. This is Paul's compelling purpose. Next in verse 29, an authentic ministry involves a labor of divine empowerment. Verse 29, for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I think early in our spiritual lives, we get excited about Jesus, which we should, and we we dive into ministry. We want to do things for Jesus. But let's get real. All of a sudden, we realize ministry is hard work, amen? And we realize... I'm running out of steam. My energy seems to be quite limited, and I, and I, I want to throw in the towel. Can, can someone else do this ministry, whether it's in the church or in the community? And somewhere along the way, either we're taught or we read for ourselves the fact that God has placed in us a source of power the very person of the Holy Spirit. And he wishes to empower my life to do things for him. Now, but I put in your notes, it's a labor of divine empowerment. There's a balance there. This word labor has the idea of working to the point of exhaustion. You've been there? You've also been there in ministry where you've seemed to come to the end of your energy, the end of your rope, and you say, oh, Lord, there's more that needs to be done. And God says, I've been waiting for you to give up. I've been waiting for you to call on me so I might energize your life spiritually. I can provide the power. We struggle. I toil, which is, again, work to the point of exhaustion, but it says I struggle. And in the original, it is the idea of agonize. It's like an athlete in the arena. It's intense exertion, and sometimes ministry is like that. Yet, as I watch God's power being released in me, I am motivated and enabled by God's energy 
because he displays his power and strength through this cracked pot. Amen? Amen. Okay, I was, I was quoting scripture there. This earthen vessel. And this earthen vessel has cracks in the clay. Amen? You've seen the cracks. You've heard the cracks. And that's where God's power shines through. It's true in your life as well as mine. See, God calls us to serve Christ lovingly. He wants his power to flow in and through me to others. But sometimes, again, we are vacillating between self, Christ, and others, even in our service. Self. Christ in others. And so we say, are you serving Christ lovingly? Do you have their best at heart when you give of yourself for the sake of Christ to them? Do they see love, care, compassion? Is it in focus or am I serving myself? He goes on in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2. He again uses the word struggle. Verse 1, for I want you to know how great a struggle, how great an agony I have for you. For all those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As I studied that, I saw something I had never seen before. An authentic ministry involves a struggle for others in prayer. A struggle for others in prayer. He's straining He's straining on their behalf for you. He's other-focused. Matter of fact, he says, matter of fact, I am straining for you, even for some of you who I've never seen, I've never even met you. And I am working hard, and I realize, how is Paul doing that? He is doing it by intercessory prayer. He's struggling But notice what he's doing in verse 2. He wants to encourage their hearts being knit together in love. That's where we get our fourth piece of the puzzle. Live it out with others. Are you working in ministry with others in such a way so that they are comforted and encouraged so that over time your hearts are being knit together in love as you commonly serve Christ together? Live it out. And how do we do that for people we've never known? You don't have to pray for these people in our bulletin every week, only the ones you know. You pray for the ones you don't know as well because they're part of the family of God. And they need your prayers. And sometimes it's not convenient. But we struggle on. 
we agonize. So by way of review this morning, Paul says, authentic ministry, be joyful in suffering for Christ, be faithful in proclaiming Christ, give ministry to all, rely upon God's empowerment, Would you learn and practice intercessory prayer so that you, over time, not only come to know Christ, but you grow in Christ faithfully and you serve together Christ lovingly so that we can live it out together. And others will watch your example and they will imitate you. I remember as a young father having a small little boy And there were seasons of life when he would do just what I did. Now, the proverbial walk through the snow and follow my footprints, yes. My son also studied me and he would do things that I thought thought no one else saw me doing. Some of it good, some of it not so good. Because my son wishes to imitate his dad. There are people watching you. There are people watching you, not to judge you. They are not as far down the road spiritually as you are, and they're saying, how can I do this? I'm going to watch them. And some of you are great examples, but occasionally... All of us, our example is not quite stellar. Amen? Don't answer this question too quickly and don't raise your hands. Would you ask the Spirit of God to evaluate your life this morning? Answer the question. Ask him and let him answer. Who are you living for now? Who are you living for now? Self, Jesus, or for others. If he's showing you something you don't like seeing, would you confess that this morning? Would you ask the Spirit of God to cleanse your conscience and to give you new power to live in a life that would serve Jesus and especially would learn to serve others selflessly. Secondly, have you become weary in helping others grow? Folks, it's hard work. Or, as I thought as I wrote this, are are you um, spiritually stagnant this morning? The edge of your growth is dull. Your application of scripture is wanting. I think of a stagnant piece of water and I think about all the things that breed out of that stagnant water. And in my spiritual life, that stagnancy spiritually, I think breeds in my life strife, bitterness, self-pity. 
Does God want to stir up your life spiritually this morning and to say, it's time to grow again? Again, that's between you and God. Thirdly, are you fulfilling your God-given ministry? Are you fulfilling your commission? We just finished a Sunday school class where we all learned in that class, we are all sent on mission. All of us are. And God wishes to use each one of us to see his kingdom go forward. I need to let you in on a little secret. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, for now over 35 years, has been my ministry life verse. And we proclaim him, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone complete, mature in Christ. And for this I labor. For this I labor. I want you to memorize this verse so it becomes part of your core so that it will guide you in ministry in the days, weeks, and years to come of how to spend your life for Jesus. See, the the title of the message was Toiling for the Maturity of Others. That's what Paul did. That's what I have tried to live out in front of you for almost 30 years. Follow Paul's example. Follow mine. Let's pray.